Thank you for listening to this audio recording produced by Truth Point Church in West Palm Beach. We exist to point people to the truth of the gospel. So we're, we're uh, if you're joining with us, we're studying in the book of Hebrews. And those of you that have been with us, you know, we've been working through this, this hall of faith, a hall of heroes, these stories of people that have gone before us. And one of the things that we've tried to do every week as we look at each one of these stories is to remember why the author of Hebrews give these to us. Because, um, you know, he's, he's got a bigger message. If, if, we were, if we were back there in his church, we would just be sitting through this whole thing all at once. I mean, this would be part of a sermon, and now we're breaking it up into these little pieces. And that's good so that we can dig into the pieces. We can forget the big picture. So as we get ready, whether you're just joining with us, whether you've been with us, remember the big picture here is the author of Hebrews is telling us these stories to help us to get moving on the foundation of our faith, right? He spent a long time reminding us of how great Jesus was. He spent a long time reminding us of how firm a foundation there is in Christ Jesus. And we're going to hear that again here in just a little bit today. But then he said, so now holding fast, and in fact, um, that language of holding fast, we're going to be talking through as clinging. But if you look back at 1023, and if you don't have to do it right now, but 1023 we looked at before, uh, the author of Hebrews says, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And he's used this language of faith over and over again in a way that has a sense, not of this possession that we have, that is up and down depending on how we're doing, but on something we've been given that's always steady on the basis of what Christ did. So faith is this place where we go and stand in these hard stories. And if you've been with us, we've heard these heroes of the faith that for some of us at times, we can, we can almost, if we forget that faith is what God gave to us, these stories of people with great faith can almost be disheartening. I can never be like that. But if we remember that faith is the foundation that Christ has given to us, that it stands on what Christ has done, then it's what is able to work like the author wants it to work. Because what he wants us to do is to say, hey, listen, hold fast, be firm, be confident. And when things are hard and your confidence isn't in yourself and you're not doing that well, hold fast, be firm, be confident because of what Christ has done. And then let's move together and run the race, right? That language, the race set before us by Christ, doing the good works that he's prepared for us to do. So we go faith first, and then he's trying to get us moving as a body, as a bunch of people doing God's work here on earth. So the, the place that we've come now is the story of Abraham and Isaac. And if you're not familiar with this story, we're going to go to two places. And so if you've got uh, your bulletin, we'll have the first one. And that's Hebrews 11, 17 to 19. But if you've got your Bible with you or if you're using a phone or an iPad, if you're at home, um, if you also want to go to Genesis 22, we're going to be reading like we have been. We're going to go back and hear the Old Testament story. But just one thing before we go into it that I want you to note is... This particular story, at the time the author of Hebrews is bringing it out, this would probably be the one that for the people there that they knew the best, that they celebrated the most. This was a big deal story. For reasons we're going to talk about in a little bit, I don't think we tell this story as often in the church as we should. We certainly don't tell it as much as we would have. So for a first century Jew, this would be one of the stories of who they understood themselves to be in relationship to God. 
So with that, let's open up God's word. Starting here in Hebrews eleven seventeen to 19, this is the word of the Lord. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. And now let's go to Genesis 22. Let's hear the story there, and then we're going to pray over this word. And this is longer, so bear with me for a little bit. Genesis 22, 1 through 14. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. He said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they went, both of them together. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father. And he said, here I am, my son. He said, Behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them, together. When they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son, but the angel of the Lord called to him. And said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked. And behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of the place the Lord will provide, will provide. As it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. Let's pray. Father, we pray as we open up your word today that you will use it, um, that you will use it in the way that you set it on paper so long ago, um, that we will hear this message, that we'll be encouraged in our faith, we'll be reminded to stand firm on the promise of the good work that you've done for us. And Lord, that together as a people, as a community, we would draw each other together to go and do the good works that you've set to us, even as we heard this morning in uh, supporting the education and the, and the feeding of children around the world, that these kinds of works are the works to which you've called your church, that we can rest in the faith that you've given to us and the gift of your salvation, and we can do that work not to earn our place with you, but because you've given us a place already. In your name we pray. Amen. So something that's interesting here is, in my experience, this story is almost like those, um, those old Rorschach inkblots. Ink you know what those are? Like a psychology test where they just kind of show you these random inkblots, and, and then somebody says to you, you know, what do you see? And then, then you tell a story, and it's almost like 
you know, the idea is, and some people think it's all quackery, and some people think that it's super useful and are still doing it. It's not as popular, it doesn't seem like, as it was uh, even 25 years ago. But you look at it, and as you talk about what you see in this random bit of ink, you're revealing something about yourself. Now, that actually happens a lot in Scripture, too, where people go to God's Word, and when they read it, what they do is not get what's in there brought out to them. They kind of take what they already think, and they shove it on top of what's there. We're going we're gonna to try to be careful here, because I, on the one hand, I want us to draw out what's there, but there's a way in the application that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to let you have some freedom where the text doesn't speak, because... If you, if you see in this Genesis text, you've probably already done this. It's, at one level, it's kind of sanitary. Like the talk about how Isaac hears the word of the Lord and how he goes up, it doesn't tell us like he was really happy and walking fast or he was really terrified or he doesn't, we don't get much of a, his head was down. He was, he could barely be heard. We don't get that kind of flavor of where things are. But I, I think the, the way we're going to be using this text, the way we're going to understand the author to be talking to us is a lot like if you were here a few weeks ago and we talked about being in the middle of a long obedience. But this is, going to be a, this is going to be a text that's helpful to us when we're in those times of crisis. Those don't have to be long. Sometimes those are long, but sometimes they're short. But those really hard times... And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask you to think about some of the biggest, the deepest, the hardest times you've had, the hardest struggles you've had in your faith. And you don't even have to have passed. You don't have to have been successful. It can be a time that you look back on and you go, you know what, I failed from start to finish in that. But I want you to think about some of how you felt when you were in one of those times where it seemed like God was not who he had said he was to you. Because that's what Abraham has here is God seeming like he's not who he had said he was. So with that in mind, we're going to do, we want to talk about a couple of things. The first thing is, I, I think this text gets oversimplified by people who just make it awful and they don't talk about it at all. Like rather than looking at the whole story, you can find people, and some of them are outside the church, but some are inside the church, people who say, look, God told somebody to murder his own son. What kind of God would do this? This is horrible. How can you believe this kind of nonsense? Inside the church, there's people who have treated the whole Old Testament this way, as if that was a different God. You know, the New Testament God is Jesus, and all he does is just be nice and hang out with people, which is not the Jesus who's breaking tables and telling people, you know, turn your, from your ways or you're going to hell. But we make Jesus into this guy that drinks coffee with all the unbelievers, and we don't have the Old Testament. Like, so there's some people that are like, in the Old Testament, God was mean. In the New Testament, Jesus was really nice. And some people won't even tell this story anymore because it's hard. Now, is it on its face troubling? Yes. And for some people, this is one of the most troubling stories in Scripture. But it's, it's, a, it's an oversimplification of the whole thing. And we're going to talk about why. If you just say, this is a bad story, we're not going to tell it anymore. Whether that's because you're one of... The people saying, look, this is a bad story, so all of Christianity is dead. Or this is a bad story, so let's just stay away from the Old Testament. Or I know I'm supposed to like the whole thing, but that's a hard story, so let's just not talk about it much. We got to do better than that. We can't just simply say, that's a bad story. Let's not think about it. But actually, I got really interested to talk about this at some point in time. It's probably a character flaw or character feature 
um, we'll call it a character feature in me. Um, I, I heard somebody preach on this text, and it's probably been 20 years ago, maybe 25 years ago. And they oversimplified it another way. They told the story, and the way they told the story, Abraham was so confirmed in the perfection of his faith in Jesus Christ that he was like, all right, yeah, I'll walk up the mountain, I'll carry some wood, I'll carry a fire, I'll carry a knife, but it's all, it's going to be fine. It's no problem. It was easy. His faith was so big, he wasn't even worried. And I, I don't know if you've ever heard anybody talk it through that way, but there are people who will do that. They, they... Maybe, maybe somebody has a faith like that. I can't imagine having a faith like that. I feel if I ever said something like that, it would be because I was lying about how my life went and what faith was like. And I can't imagine that fitting with the text either. That somehow Abraham, and yeah, there is a way he was being tested. He can say, okay, I know God is good. I know God doesn't lie. I know all the people around me murder their children for sacrifices. But even though he didn't have the full law, we get a lot more of that in, in Moses. I'm sure God had already said, don't murder your children and offer them in sacrifice. God has promised me. He covenanted. Remember, we heard about this months ago. God covenanted with me that he was going to make a people out of me. He walked between the separated oxen, which said, if I break this covenant, let me be like this. Let me, he promised on his own life that he would bless me. And Isaac was the child of promise. And he's already said, this is the child. And I had Ishmael. And if you remember last week, God said, you're going to have a kid. And I laughed. And then my wife laughed. We both laughed at God because he said he was going to give us a kid. And this is the kid. Do I think that Abraham had all of that stuff in place? I do. But the God that he had had relationship with, the God whom he spoke with in the way that we don't get to, said, take your son, the child of promise, and go and offer him to me. And this is where I would say, this is where we can put ourselves in. I don't know exactly what it was like for Isaac. Uh, excuse me. I don't know what it was like for Isaac either. But I don't know what it was like for Abraham. But I, I think it's fair to guess from what we hear that this was a test. The way he answered Isaac, the way he set the people aside, the way he carried the fire and all the implements for the sacrifice, that what was going on is that Abraham said, I got to go. I don't know what's going to happen. And I'm terrified. And I don't, I don't understand what's going on. But that God has asked me to go, God has promised me that this child will be the one from whom he blesses, and as the author of Hebrews says, may, I don't know what he's going to do, maybe he's going to raise him from the dead, I don't know, but that this was his son whom he loved, that he went forward clinging and terrified, clinging to the truth. That it wasn't that the faith that he had, that we hear by faith, is this kind of casual confidence. It's all going to be fine, so I'm not worried. Yeah, Isaac, let's go. I mean, at that point in time, why not just tell Isaac, hey, listen, we're going to pretend like we're going to offer you up. But then somewhere along the line, things are going to get changed. And worst case scenario, God's going to raise you from the dead, so don't worry. <laughs> and Isaac didn't get to talk to God. So he's not acting with the same confidence. Abraham didn't bring him in. 
But the holding fast, this is what I think the author of Hebrews is telling us, that by faith, in a time of this tremendous, I don't understand what you're doing, God. This doesn't seem to fit with who you are. This isn't part of your character. This doesn't make sense. Did I eat some bad goat last night and I didn't actually hear your voice? That's probably where my head would be. Did I imagine this? Am I broken? What's going on? That he held fast to the truth he knew of who God was. And that is part of why this isn't that awful story that some people make it out to be. Because Abraham had been given the truth. He had been told, God is good. God is faithful. He had watched God's pass between the animals saying, if I break this covenant, I will die. He had seen that God had founded the promise on his own character. And so as he walked, it was devastating, I'm sure, for him to think through the possibilities. But God saying go was done in a context in which Abraham already had the resources to know there's got to be more to this story. And I'll say for us, we're probably not going to have this kind of experience, right? You and I, we're not going to, we're, we're, it's very unlikely. In fact, I'll tell you, you ate bad goat. If you tell me God told you to do something that otherwise works against his word. But we will get into hard times. We will get into hard times where the situation that we are in does not seem like it fits what we're expecting of God. We're going to have hard times where the mystery of not knowing the ending is so much that we say, where are you, God? Where are you really good? Do you really love me? And what the author of Hebrews is talking to us about here is not being so strong in our faith that no matter how bad things get, we just say, hey, God is great. It's no problem. I heard a story, I remember a pastor telling me a story of going to a funeral, and there was an older guy in the funeral that was really upset. A guy had died, and his wife was crying at the funeral for her husband, and he said, I thought she had more faith than that. Now, there's two disasters there. One of them is theological, and the second one is that people open their mouths at places like funerals and say things like that. If you can't help being the first guy, at least don't be the second guy that opens his mouth. But this pastor heard this. I thought you had more faith. Faith doesn't mean that no matter what happens, you aren't sad. It doesn't mean it isn't hard. It doesn't mean you don't wonder. It doesn't mean you don't struggle. Faith, that gift, like Abraham, is a place where you go to cling to the truth when if it was left up to you, you'd have nothing and fail. Faith... It's not what you have that keeps you from suffering. Faith is where you go to cling to the truth to make it through the suffering. And I'll say, it's a good reminder that in the time of suffering is not the place to try to figure out who God is. If in that moment walking up the mountain, Abraham was to just take what was in front of him and say, who is God? Well, then it would seem that God is someone who says, sacrifice your son. In the middle of the crisis is not the time to try to figure out who God is. It's when you're not in crisis. And that's going to get us to our application in this message. See, the first one is, 
in times of crisis, by faith, cling to the truth. Abraham, I believe, was clinging to the truth. The way I would struggle walking up that mountain, if I was willing to go, is not probably the way you would struggle. And it's not probably the way Abraham struggles. But all of us struggling our way up the mountain would need to do the same thing. Cling, hold fast to the promise. And there might be times that you think, where else can I go? What do I do now? What else do I have? It may not be happy faith. It may not be all good faith. David, if you read through the Psalms, when he was hiding away in the caves, he wasn't always a happy guy. He wasn't always excited with what God was doing. He didn't always say, God, I love this. This is fantastic. Can I have more of it? But though he always ended with, I remember what you did for me, and I will stand in the Lord. Hold fast. But as we go out to apply it, if you're not in one of those moments right now, I can promise you, you will have them. And the question as we go out is, how do we get ready for that? And this is one of those areas where I want to make a really strong encouragement to the church and to all of you in the church. And I know many of you are already doing it. And if you're doing it, I want you to see it as positive. And if you're not, I want to ask you, please do. See, the time to figure out, the time to get the truth, the time to have the truth to hold on to is not when you need it. The time is before you need it. The time is now. That as we open this book, the author of Hebrews said, hey, we're setting aside the easy stuff and we're doing the hard stuff now. As we go forward in our lives, each of us should be seeking to learn more truth. What can you hold on to if you don't have anything? You can only hold on to as much truth as you have. Now, it doesn't mean that everybody has to go to seminary. If you do, I know a place. <laughs> if you tell the admissions officer, I'm really close to the pizza party. If you, don't have to, you don't have to become an expert. You have to say, from where I am, I want to grow. I want to learn. I want to add more truth to my bank that I can cling to in faith. Some people will get really upset about encouragements to Christians to go grow in knowledge. Some people talk bad about theology and all this stuff. And it's true. If we take having more theology to equate to being more spiritual, then that can be bad stuff. And that would mean that basically the smartest people are the most spiritual people. And I can assure you that is false. And you know that already. But each of us in our lives has a need to grow. Each of us in our own lives needs to be seeking truth. This is our God. This is our Savior. This is our Lord. Let's grow. And where do we grow? Let's grow together. So individually, Find good resources to learn more of the truth that you can cling to when times are bad because they will be. Get in communities where you can learn more truth, where you can cling, not just alone, but with people when things are bad, because if they aren't now, they will be. Continually seek to grow and get in God's word to grow in knowledge of your Lord and Savior, because you need that truth, not so you can show off at Sunday school meetings. But so you've got a place when you go to that foundation of faith to cling to truths to carry through the hard times. 
And parents, I'm going to give a special charge to you right now. I'm going to give you a, a very important charge. You have a distinct advantage over any of us who are in here who came to know the Lord as adults. An advantage not for yourself, though, but for your children, although it should drive you to get better on your own. And that is this, because your children are in your home, you have the ability to give them this foundation while they don't have any choice to be lazy about it. Like, you know, most of us are. You all have this responsibility. You all as parents, and all of us really in the body, when we make the pledges in baptism to support, we are promising we are going to help children to get a Christian education. And that doesn't mean homeschool or co-ops or, com or uh, a regular sort of a, a formal school or public school is disallowed or any of that. Every child who comes up in the church needs to have been educated in the truths of the church. Needs to. How? Well, that'll depend from family to family. In fact, I'd say don't let somebody bind your conscience on there being only one way. Family situations are different. What isn't different is the responsibility to give our children, the children who belong to us as a community and us as individual parents, the foundation so that when they go through hard times, they don't have to start from scratch. And they won't always like it. I worked in Christian schools for a long time. They often won't like it. But encourage it. Reinforce it. Remind them. And I'd say, kids, ask your parents about some hard times that they went through. And how clinging to the faith carried your parents through hard times where otherwise they might have failed. And parents, share those stories. Even your failures. Because the thing is that this is a gospel, this is a reality, this is a truth that includes overcoming all of our failures, no matter how big they are. And I, I want to point something out. It's kind of interesting. At the very end of our text today in Hebrews, <clears throat> so 17 and 18, if you, look in the, if you look in your bulletins, if you're looking in your Bible, 17 and 18 are just telling us back about the story. But verse 19 is the author of Hebrews here, adding a commentary on his own. He says, he considered that God, Abraham considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. There's two levels of meaning to this. The first part of that, figuratively speaking, the language there is like the word for parable. So like kind of in a way, in a manner of speaking. So if your Bible, your Bible might translate it differently. So in one sense, what the author of Hebrews is saying is, Abraham went up there thinking, I don't know what's going to happen. But God is big enough if at, he could even bring Isaac back from the dead. And so the author is saying, and in a way of speaking, he did, because Isaac was just about to die. But the language there has got a little bit more breadth to it than what we have in English. And there's another sense in which the author of Hebrews, this isn't, this isn't definitely there, but it's at least likely there. An audience then would have heard this possibility. What he meant is kind of like, in the manner of foreshadowing, he did raise someone from the dead. Because remember, the child of promise, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. Who was going to be blessed through Isaac, his offspring? Everybody. All the world was going to be blessed through Isaac, his offspring. And who... Besides Isaac was a child of Abraham, well, Jesus was a child of Abraham. And Jesus was sacrificed by his father. It's one of the reasons that this 
ugliness of the story, that simplistic, doesn't make any sense as we celebrate the fact that Abraham was willing and God did sacrifice his son. But he sacrificed his son out of the line of Abraham and he did raise him from the dead. And figuratively speaking, Abraham got back one of his children from the dead in reality. And in coming out of the dead, in Christ being resurrected, he died taking on all of our sins so that all of us can be set free from the burden of that guilt. And he didn't just die and get resurrected himself and say, now do the same. He said, I've done it for you. And when you're, if you're here and you don't know this Jesus, if you don't know this story, if you don't know what things are going on, the foundation of the faith, the starting place is this, that Jesus was sent by his father to be sacrificed. And he was sacrificed for you and for me. And that his sacrifice was perfect. And that his sacrifice is complete. And that all of the burdens and all of the failures and all of the sin and all of the disasters in our lives can be laid on the cross. Just repent. Say, Christ, I need you. That faith, that simple fact is all that we need to have the foundation to start. All the seeking after education afterwards is so that we can be stronger as we live that out. But I'm telling you, the promise from God is set your faith in Jesus Christ and everything is taken care of. And join this community. Join the community of all of the people who are in Christ, who've been set free, who can stand on that foundation and be called into action together to make sure the good news goes out, not just by the way we talk, but by the way we live. That's what the author of Hebrews is giving to us over and over again. So be ready in those times that are hard. Faith is not not needing any help. Faith is clinging to the truth when you're desperate for it. Be encouraged together as a community. Help each other. Let's grow together. Let's continue to try to grow in truth, not because it makes us more spiritual, but because it prepares us better for hardships in our lives and in others. And let's work together to make sure that our children as well are brought up in that knowledge of the Lord, so that they too will know who this Savior is. They'll be equipped with what it takes to be able to cling to the truth when times are hard. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the privilege that we have of coming together, the privilege we have of worshiping together, the privilege that we have of knowing, of knowing you. Lord, I pray that you will remind us first of all of the doneness of our sin that you'll remind us, first of all, of the completion of our salvation, of the work that you did in Jesus Christ that sets us free. But, Lord, that you'll fill us with a reminder, with a sense of that love, a sense of your forgiveness, that you'll fill us with love back to you and to each other. And that will be people called by your word here to go out and live out that gospel, not because we have to, but because we can and because we want to. And Lord, all of us will walk into dark times, and you'll test us. Lord, we won't understand, we won't know, won't see you, may not feel you. Lord, help us to be people who are full of your truth, that we can cling to it in those times of hardship, remembering that you have done all things for us, and you will work good out of all things, even when we don't see that result here on earth. In your name we pray, amen. 
Thank you for listening to this audio recording produced by Truth Point Church. We encourage you to distribute this to as many people as you'd like, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way. For more information about our ministry or to subscribe to our podcast, please visit our website at www.truthpoint.org.